Um, now, also in an hour's time, Taylor Swift. Not T-Swizzle herself, but we are going to be talking about her with one of the many people, it seems, that run a, a university course. They do it at Harvard, by the way. And speaking of Harvard, let's cross to Boston right now. Celeste Katzmarston is our guest in Boston. Celeste, welcome back to the program. Good morning. Uh, it's in the English Literature Department, I think, at Harvard. They they have they teach Taylor Swift's lyrics in, in the continuum of Shakespeare and all that, all the way down to Taylor Swift. That's pretty. I mean, when you went to university, did they teach you know pop stars? Don't recall taking any courses like that. That doesn't mean they didn't offer any. There were some courses that people sort of kidded about yet found interesting. Like uh, I think there was a literature course on the spy novel, for example. Um, But um, I don't remember there being a course on like REM's lyrics or something like that. Yes. What a shame. Yet That's the sort of thing that gets kids to go to university, isn't it, these days? I might take it now. do you, I mean, just on Taylor Swift, I know we've got plenty of other things to talk about. Uh, where do you stand on T-Swizzle? I mean, what's your feeling about why it is that she's so just phenomenally popular? I, I you know, I, I want to find out. I'm a fan, but I don't know why it's the case. It's interesting, and I have to admit that, like many pop culture things, unfortunately, I'm not hugely up on the whole uh, Taylor Swift uh, Swift mythology or discography or, or or anything like that. I mean, I think she's pretty. I think she writes catchy tunes. I, I do have to hand it to her as far as her, her business acumen and standing up for herself. I don't know yeah. the whole backstory, but there's, uh, you know, apparently yeah. this whole issue with having to re-record her her uh, her music to yep. to get the rights back to it and things like that. So in terms of self advocacy, and and not letting people walk away with uh, you know ill gotten gains from from her creativity, I think that's a plus. Yeah. I mean, she's just sort of a, a a celebrity. I mean, she's going back. I mean, Madonna maybe in my day dating myself, but would have been that kind of singular figure, yeah. and then maybe like a Lady Gaga later on for people younger than me. And then this is sort of the the next iteration. There's there's always somebody who's that kind of figure. I think. Yeah, there's and always someone, currently... yeah, sort of that came before. But yeah, anyway, we'll talk about this in the next hour. But yeah, like Madonna <laughs> and Beyonce, but Taylor Swift is just, for some reason, is bigger than that. I mean, those people never won, uh, you know, person of the year. They don't influence elections. You know, it's just, anyway. It's a curious thing. Speaking of elections, though, uh, Celeste, uh, the Supreme Court has announced that they will, uh, just today, I think, they're going to be hearing arguments, I think, about whether or not Donald Trump is legally allowed to stay on the ballot in this year's presidential election. Now, this goes back to Colorado. Uh, Their court ruled that... um, he was not eligible to be on the ballot in Colorado, and this will obviously have an effect throughout the country. And it goes back to the Civil War, really. If you read, as I'm sure this is the way it was done, uh, the uh, 14th Amendment or uh, that part of the Constitution, that if you uh, take arms or rebel against the country, you can't um, you know, run for office, basically, is what it says. And we know they're talking about the Civil War. The question is, can you enforce that for elections way beyond the 1860s and 70s? 
Right. So this this question centers largely on the 14th Amendment and who it applies to and, and how it applies. So the 14th Amendment is also called the insurrectionist amendment. And it, it says, uh, as you say, that if you have undertaken activities to undermine the the validity uh, or the primacy of of the United States government uh, in the earlier case that would have been being a, a member of the Confederate government or supporting the Confederacy and its its secession from the Union um, then you're out then you're disqualified you can't be a member of the government but there are some technical questions about how exactly that works whether it applies to presidents even. Uh, so the, the Trump campaign is trying to argue that basically he wasn't inciting an erection, an insurrection, first of all, um, but uh, that there was more of a riot going on. Um, but also they're saying that the strict reading of the 14th Amendment applies it to officers of the United States. And that means basically appointed officials, not elected officials like the president. So lots of different ways they're trying to come at this. But, um, you know, the Supreme Court is talking about it as we speak, as a matter of fact, that's underway. So it's going to have huge ramifications, obviously, beyond Colorado. And I think that's what people are looking for. Do we really have to go through this in every state where yeah. uh, an objection is being raised to having Trump on the ballot? Or can we settle this right away? And you know, just as a point of clarification, Trump is currently on the ballot in Colorado. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? It was ruled that he is not, but they printed the ballots and his name's there. The interesting thing here is, of course, that the Supreme Court has been stacked. Um, it's fair to say that, I think, despite what you know, some people may disagree. But, uh, you know, seats, seats were, you know, in effect, stolen by one side or the other, in this case, the Republicans. And this is just the very thing that happens when uh, that happens, when Merrick Garland wasn't allowed to take his seat or a seat that he was nominated for, never even got a hearing. Otherwise, the makeup of the Supreme Court would be very different. And then the very arguments that the Republicans had that you can't appoint someone during um, an election year, they threw that out, of course, and uh, rushed through Amy Coney Barrett just before an election in an election year, so ignoring the hypocrisy was absolutely breathtaking. And this is what happens. You know, that these people appointed by the Republicans or by Trump, they're the ones who are going to be sitting in judgment on whether Trump should be on the ballot. Right, which is one of the most important, if not the most important powers of the presidency to uh, to nominate Supreme Court justices. And that's why it's it's such a very big deal. And look, that can cut both ways. There might be an alternative case where a Democrat had appointed or the majority of the uh the justices on the court had been appointed by Democrats, and there was a case that came before them that had uh, a politically charged element. But, you know, the bigger picture is that this is really about how much people believe in uh, the bedrock principles of our democracy. Do people trust the court? There are a lot of people who don't trust the court right now. There are a lot of people out there who do still think that elections are rigged, 
uh, falsely, um, that Joe Biden is not the legitimately elected president of the United States, which he is, um, and that uh, even the results of the coming election are sure to be somehow skewed or tampered with, which uh, I have not seen evidence to, to support that at all. And I think a lot of uh, people who know a lot more about it than I do certainly say that there is no evidence to support that. Do we have to be worried about, say, foreign attempts to to meddle in our elections, we definitely, definitely have to be worried about. That is a serious, serious issue, as well as an influencer campaign through social media or other means to, to undermine confidence in the elections. But all these things are sort of tied up together in this Supreme Court case, which is why, you know, there, there's a big discussion about how will they actually uh, consider the issue here and make their decision. Is there going to be a political element that they just can't get away from? Should they just be extremely strict uh, textualists or or constitutionalists or originalists, you know, whatever you want to call it? Well, that's and what many people, words, you know, as they were written. Yeah, that's right. Many people on the Republican side would argue that and would say, well, this was actually about the Civil War. It doesn't really uh, you know, apply these days. Others would say, well, hang on, that's what it is. That's what it, the way it was written. It needs to be applied because the originalists, so-called, as you say, you know, they love to interpret the Constitution and rule out all sorts of modern things by saying, well, that's what the framers of the Constitution wanted, even though, of course, that's not the case. What happens if the Supreme Court court rules against Trump. What happens then, do you think? Well, I think that might create some sort of domino effect, or at least it would create some sort of a, a precedent, right? I mean, you know, in a lot of these Supreme Court cases, the decision is strictly limited to the matter at hand. A decision in one case does not decide every other case that has been brought or that could be brought. But it certainly influences decisions of of lower courts. Uh, you know, a Supreme Court precedent is a big deal. So it doesn't sort of end the Trump campaign by any means. I, I don't I don't think it's sort of that far reaching, but it, it certainly sets an example um, by which other courts can can consider and, and operate. But, you know, it, it's it's very interesting on whether this is going to end up being essentially a huge issue for our democracy that gets decided on a technicality. Is the president of the United States an officer of the United States or is he not? A lot of people are saying it, it's sort of preposterous to, to read those words and say, how could the president possibly be excluded from that? Yeah. Of course, he's an officer of the United States. He's the officer of the United States. He's an office holder. There's going to be a lot of quibbling, I think, about about the language in there, um, or for that matter, did he incite people to an insurrection? Did he incite people yeah. to a riot? Did he incite people to nothing? Did he just give a passionate political speech mm. telling people to to fight for their democracy and for their voices to be heard in, in an election? Um, again, some of that stuff might be subjective, but it's going to come down to to language. It's, uh, you know, to some degree going to come down to politics. Mm. Because some courts have already ruled uh, in Trump's favor, in other states, they said no. This is, you know, he's not an officer. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that uh, one court sees it one way and one the other. I just find it fascinating if a Republican-dominated or a right-leaning-dominated uh, court 
rules against him, there's no appeal. I mean, you cannot appeal to a higher court. The Supreme Court is it. So what would happen, whether Trump's name is not on the ballot or in Colorado or it is not on the ballot in any state, it's just going to be a fascinating election then, isn't it? Because I'm sure people write in his name anyway, won't they? Oh, yeah. It's 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 already pretty, pretty wild. And you would think to yourself, well, how wild can it be if essentially, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to totally read the tea leaves and make a, a super uh, definitive conclusion. But at this point, it is looking like a Joe Biden, Donald Trump rematch. And you could say, well, how how wacky could that be? But it's it's already pretty complicated. And certainly with issues like this in the in the Supreme Court. And there, there are other questions too, like how is Congress involved? Can states individually keep uh, a candidate off the ballot for these type of reasons related to the 14th Amendment, related to their own election laws? Does Congress have to pass a, a specific law or weigh in? Um, even if he makes it onto the ballot, can Congress get involved further on in the process? And then what happens if Congress does, if there's some yeah. sort of congressional action that um, say Donald Trump wins the popular vote in certain states or in all the states, but they find that he is disqualified as a candidate. Oh. What happens then? I mean, we've already seen what happens when people believe that an election mm. might be rigged or fixed, even if it is not. And what we have seen is people beating down Capitol police officers and breaking into the seat of government and mm. sitting at the, you know, breaking into the office of the Speaker of the House. We know what that looks like. So if if it happens again, I'm I'm really concerned to say the least about about how that actually pans out. All right. Celeste Katz Marston is our guest in Boston. Now there are many ways of determining, you know, what the cost of living is. And one that hits everyday Australians, everyday Americans, is the cost of fast food. And in particular in the US at the moment, it's the cost of one item at McDonald's, and that is a hash brown. Now, it's a lot. I like the hash browns at McDonald's. I won't be, uh, you know, don't uh, deny that. It's a long time since I bought one, though I don't know how much they are. But in the US, $3, which would be about $4.50 Australian, that is a lot for a hash brown. And this is, you know, this is something that is just, you know, it, this is what is, is bringing it home, really, isn't it? Crystallizing the whole problem for a lot of people is the price of a hash brown. Right. It, it speaks to the bigger price of, of food and dining out versus eating at home, preparing your own food. A lot of people do rely on these sort of like quick service, fast food restaurants and so on. Um, but if you think back to say how much it used to cost to get a, a burger at McDonald's or for that matter, how much, you know, entertainment things like buying a movie ticket or buying popcorn at the movies or something like that. I mean, we all know prices go up and inflation rises and falls and so on. But if you're talking about $3 for a single hash brown, in some cases, like a Big Mac meal, maybe you, I think you might call it something else in, in Australia, but a happy um, meal, something perhaps. like, yeah, like $18 for that, Whoa. $18 for that no, um, U.S., it's just really sort of staggering. And I think that, um, you know, the fast food industry, and particularly McDonald's, has in the past sort of uh, presented this in a positive light. And they're saying, look, even though the prices have gone up, people are still buying it. 
it's okay. People are, we are not driving away customers, but I think you see a lot of anecdotal evidence and a lot of complaints, especially on social media, uh, where people are like, what the hell is this? What is going on? This is spiraling out of control. And I think it's just sort of, um, you know, uh, illustrative of people's frustrations with yeah. rising prices and wages that aren't keeping pace with those prices. And that will have an effect at the ballot box, won't it? Because people are blaming the president for that, even though the economy, well, some parts of the economy are booming. The stock market in particular uh, is uh, is going gangbusters, as we'd say in Australia, but that is not necessarily helping people who are trying to get by every day. Isn't that the case? Right. And if you look at uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's like much more research on this, but if, if these are people who are fundamentally relying on this because they don't have other means of of preparing food in advance. And, and I think that if you read the book uh, Nickel, uh, Nickel and Dimed by Barbara Ehrenreich, yeah, she did book. a really fascinating book yeah. on this. And she sort of explained, you know, if you look at people and you say people who are uh, of lower income, right? Like, well, they're always eating fast food and snacks and they're mm. buying stuff at the corner shop. And why don't they cook healthy food at home? Well, to cook healthy food at home, you have to have, uh, you know, the ability to get to a store that sells yes. healthy food. You have to be able to have all the equipment and components to prepare large batches of food like lentil soup or stew or something like that that can be frozen and uh, preserved and parceled out and so on for long-term use. You need to have an apartment or a house that yeah. has a kitchen with the proper equipment to cook those things. You have to have utensils and pots and pans and all these things that people just sort of take for granted a lot of times when they look at somebody and saying, oh, well, if you just want to eat at McDonald's all the time, that's your problem. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really it's really sort of interesting in terms of, of the perception of that. And then just the fact of the matter is people are now getting fed up. Maybe they were willing to put up with these rising prices, but now they're like, this is really out of hand. And so the, you know, the companies are going to have to respond. Yeah, Nickel and Dimed, great book. And the point you make about not having a house or an apartment, I mean, to live in, so many of these people, and people in Australia, but more in the U.S., you know, living in their car or living on the streets and still working a job, but they just don't have the money to uh, live in a house or find a house. I mean, it's a terrible problem in Australia. It's a terrible problem in the US. But uh, that book, which is written a few years ago now, and sadly Barbara has died since then, of course, but, uh, you know, it's still really worthwhile uh, looking at or reading if you find a copy of Nickel and Dimed. Um, let's go to the uh, Super Bowl, shall we, which is on Monday... It's a, you know, San Francisco against Kansas City. Uh, Will T-Swizzle be there? I, we got the exclusive. I can break this news for you. Uh, we got a call last week on the program from a private jet pilot who says he has seen the Las Vegas, you know, where you write or where they put in the, the bookings for the uh, private jets and Taylor Swift's jet is booked to go in on the night before the Super Bowl. So you've heard it here first. She will be going there, Celeste. Wow. Wow. Big scoop. So Big scoop, scoop. scoop the, for our program. Uh, the Swifties are going, to be, are going to be breaking down your door, that's for sure. Mm. Um, th that is a very big deal. But yeah, and, and I know we talk about this every year. And I'm literally the worst person, but I still do not know that much 
about football. I, I sort of walk past it when my husband is watching football on TV occasionally, and he's not even like a huge sports hound himself. But um, for those of us who are not uh, super sports fans, the commercials are kind of the fun part, maybe the halftime show, but also the, the commercials are, are a fun part of the whole Super Bowl experience. And this year, I mean, there's like, you know, most years it's you know, millions of dollars to buy 30 seconds and it's who can get the biggest celebrity to be in these commercials. And they've lined up quite a few uh, big celebrities, haven't they? Yeah, it's seven million bucks, something like seven million dollars uh, to buy a 30 second ad. And um, I have to say there were a couple I did check out a couple of them in advance because a lot of them have already been released. Um, BMW with uh, one of my favorite actors, Christopher Walken, just got to I mean, there, there's nothing you could do about Christopher Walken. He is a, a force of nature. He is he is an icon and he's hilarious. I mean, the guy could just be standing there doing nothing. And, and he's he's like my favorite person. So um, there's that. There's a Budweiser commercial featuring animals. Of course, the Clydesdale and a dog. I'm a sucker for the uh, the animal commercials. But, you know, there's tons and tons. Tom Brady, of course, of course, uh, you know, the Massachusetts people will will uh, be interested in the, the Tom Brady commercial. That's for a betting a betting thing. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, lots of stuff and we'll, we'll see which ones go over and which ones sort of uh, tank, but uh, it's, it's sort of a, a fun, uh, a fun sideshow for those of us who have not been obsessively watching football for the entire season. So you're saying, uh, you're saying that while your husband's watching the football, you'll only be watching the ads. I sort of wander in and out. And I think that actually it is true that when we first started going out, and this is super, super long ago, like 1996, we did actually go to a Super Bowl party when we were dating. And it was like the wackiest game. I think it was Patriots versus Green Bay, something around like 96, 97, maybe like that. And they were just back-to-back touchdowns. It was just... Uh, from what I understand, just like a preposterously exciting game. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And then I watched a little bit more football after that. And I was like, wow, this is just men in tight pants falling down. And yeah, I don't basically, get it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. 96 Super Bowl. Uh, no, I think it might have been around about that time. I thought it might have been against. I feel like Green Bay was definitely uh, in it. Okay. All right. Yeah, around about the time perhaps that New England was starting to, you know, rise up and be the champs that they were for so long, and now that's gone. Well, enjoy the game. I'll be watching it. I'll be, uh, you know, counting also how many times they cut away to Taylor Swift in uh, one of the private oh. boxes there. Well, I'm glad I heard it here first. <laughs> thanks very much. Celeste, thanks very much. Talk again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Celeste Katz-Marston in the United States, in Boston, in fact. ABC Listen. Take 5 with San Rowe is back for a new season. We were making music that was changing the world. I'll ask Noel Gallagher, Natalie Imbruglia, Jimmy Barnes, Mark Cole-Smith, G-Flip and Lin-Manuel Miranda to share five songs that have shaped their life. Go to the ABC Listen app to hear the full interviews from the episodes on screen. Season 2 of Take 5 with me, Zan Rowe. Find the podcast now on the ABC Listen app.